Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. Hey, this is The Takeaway. I'm Jay Cowett, in for Melissa Harris-Berry. In the Thanksgiving play, four white protagonists sit down to create a politically correct and historically accurate Thanksgiving play for a local elementary school. What could go wrong, right? Well, the play explores the complicated and oftentimes failing relationship between allyship and performative wokeness. I'm Larissa Fastorus, and I'm the playwright for the Thanksgiving play and a member of the Suchangu Lakota Nation. Larissa Fasthorse is one of the very first indigenous women to have a play produced on Broadway. She joined The Takeaway to talk about her Broadway debut, navigating theater spaces as an indigenous playwright, and the complex failures of, quote, well-meaning white people. Larissa, thank you so much for coming on. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks, Jay. So first of all, the play is opening up today on Broadway. How are you feeling about it? I am really excited. I'm thrilled to have this play launching into the world, but it's always bittersweet for a playwright because um, the day after opening, I head off to my next show. So the exciting birth and launching of the play is also the last time I see it. So it's a little sad also. For those not familiar with the show, it revolves around four white characters who are trying their very hardest to put on a Thanksgiving play, a Thanksgiving story, uh, trying their hardest to do it right by what they think are the interest of indigenous people or native people. Um, They fail quite a bit throughout the play. I'm interested where you got the concept from. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it kind of was born out of my own failure. I uh, had been writing plays for about 12 years with a lot of indigenous characters in them, and I was not getting them produced more than once um, by the commissioning theater because people kept saying my plays were uncastable, and it was so frustrating. Um, So for me to finally break through and get my plays produced wider, I had to resort to writing a play that had four white presenting folks, um, but still dealing with indigenous issues. And, you know, what's more obvious to deal with indigenous issues than Thanksgiving and something that I felt like we can all relate to and feel like we know something about. And uh, my goal with this was to be able to still talk about Native issues and, you know, honestly kind of blow up a holiday that we all love, (laughs) unfortunately, (laughs) but, you know, allow people a different way to look at it and find new ways to celebrate it in a more accurate fashion. So as you're saying, no indigenous actors in this cast, you kind of make uh, the audience kind of live in a native point of view. I'm interested in how you as a playwright, as you're writing this, do that, like center Native American issues without having any Native American uh, characters in the play. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's obviously, you know, partially, like I said, from the topic, but also I've told people, they think I'm exaggerating, but I really don't think I am, that 80% of the lines in the play are just taken from my life. They're taken from my experiences working with a lot of well-meaning white folks every day of my life in theater um, and just in the world. And it's, it's, you know, because it's something that's with me always. It's my core of my identity. It's just who I am as a, you know, being a Native American woman here in this country. Um, it's a political identity. It's a racial identity. It's a cultural identity. It's not something, it's my name. <laughs> you know, it's not something I can hide from. So it's always front and center. And the things that people say and the way that they erase those things or turn themselves in pretzels to try to, you know, interpret what they think that means, you know, being a native person and um, the ways that I'm endlessly, you know, ignored or overlooked or misspoken about right in front of my face is 
kind of uh, just perfect for theater. <laughs> so I just captured it all, stuck a bunch of fun jokes and storytelling in between. And there we had a play. How much of the characters in the play, the, the well-meaning white people, do you think are kind of reflected by the audiences that will see the play on Broadway? You know, um, a lot. Um, it's interesting, though, because, you know, Broadway is definitely a broader audience, you know. And so there are people coming from around the world. It's a global audience. I meet people from different countries every night. There's people that come in uh, that just, you know, stopped at TKTS a block away and got some last minute tickets. And they have no idea what they're coming to. They're maybe not even regular theater goers. And so that's really exciting. That's a privilege to have that broad of an audience. But then I also have to think about, you know, yikes, how is this going to you know, hit land with them and what can I do? And so, I mean, the whole team, Rachel Chavkin, my director, all of our fantastic actors, our designers and myself really thought about it specifically, this production as a Broadway production. And so there were changes made to everything, to the script, to the presentation, to the design. Um, we did a lot of work in the room together to make sure that this is something that I could speak, you know, use to speak to a huge audience and have it touch them in different ways, no matter where they're coming from. Now, the play is very funny, but there's obviously uh, an attempt to show um, some maybe some cringe moments from these well-meaning white people and kind of immerse your audience in that and not really let them out, uh, e even through the end end of the play. Is that something that you're, you're worried about at all for audiences that may uh, not understand or not quite get the satire that you're trying to throw at them? You know, um, some folks have worried about that I don't, you know, not everything's for everyone. That's okay. Um, if you know you try to please everybody, you're gonna fail. Um, it's just not possible. However, at the same time, you know, I I'm a pretty good comedy writer. I've got you know six comedy plays being produced this year. I can write a joke uh, pretty fast and pretty well, and that hits with everyone. I have a lot of what I call unifying jokes that are for everybody. So I know that you know I can make the comedy work. We have comedy genius actors. Um, so I know that that works and that that'll always catch people and get them caught up again if they get lost in the satire at moments. Um, but also, you know, a lot of the satire, you know, or the things that people call difficult or rough, they're just truth. That's literally all I'm doing is I took writings from actual pilgrims slash separatists of the time, and I just told their story as they wrote it down themselves. And so um, it's not news to... Native people, we know these stories, we live them, you know, and they've been passed down through our families from person to person. Um, it, they're just truths. They're just things that actually happen. And um, it's interesting when people, sometimes folks are like, oh, will the Native people be okay with this? It's like, oh, this is not news. <laughs> and if the white folks aren't okay with it, that's okay. It's time for them to learn their own truth that they wrote down themselves. Plainly, a lot of this is, is kind of about the performative sensitivity among a lot of these characters and, and stuff that you've seen in your life. So how do you define the word woke? <laughs> um, you know what, honestly, so I will say first off that I think um, you know, there's a lot of pushback now against using the word woke as far as from all sides, right? Um, and, I, and I would say, you know, want to shout out to a lot of folks in Black culture. They're like, okay, this is our word in the first place. <laughs> it's been appropriated by a lot of people in a lot of inappropriate ways. And so, you know, I want to shout that out first off that, you know, it, it did come out of, of a specific American culture. Um, you know, for me, I, I think, you know, I, I hope I'm not woke at all. <laughs> just in the way that wokeness is like portrayed in this country by white folks is just kind of ruined it. Um, and then also, you know, from apparently, and again, I don't read a lot of um, 
these things, but what I've been told is it's used a lot against folks too, as a weapon um, to mean negative things. So I'm not actually a fan of the word myself. I think it just means people are, I really do think it means people are trying really hard to be kind and considerate and to be aware of their place in the world and how they perhaps are centering themselves. I think it's about people trying to um, look around at, you know, their privilege, where do they have privilege in each room and space they're in and where can they help balance that out? And for those that don't have as much privilege, which changes in every moment. Right. And so, um, you know, there's rooms where I have no privilege and there's rooms where I have all the privilege, you know? So I think it's, you know, people trying to do that, but it's been, you know, misappropriated and used in a lot of negative ways. So I want to go to kind of the, the the performance now and kind of the the production of the play. You have Rachel Chavkin directing, and, and this is a play that's that's all conversation. It's dealing with a lot of awkward pauses and 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 people kind of reacting to these uh, the, these concepts and the and these and these moments. So tell me about how how you as a playwright and how, how you work with the director to kind of get that right and and get these conversations feeling uh, naturally cringy. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's funny because there's a there's a combo of things, right? So theater is a collaboration. Uh, Rachel and I have known each other for 10 years. I'm thrilled that I'm making my Broadway debut with her. She's making her Broadway straight play debut with me. Um, and that's really fun that we get to do this together after knowing, knowing each other for so long and admiring each other's work. Um, so, you know, we work very collaboratively in the room. I mean, it's uh, we're there side by side from the very first design meeting, from all the casting every day in the room um, through all the previews. I mean, tech, we do it all together side by side. We make all our decisions together. We, you know, really, you know, we each have our own lanes, of course. I do the typing and she does the standing and talking and, you know, all those things. But um, we really work hard to make sure that all the rooms that we're leading together are being led as a collaborative space. So, that means that you know everybody's contributing to what you're talking about to that final product. Um, the designers, you know, have ideas about moments, about silence, about oh, you know, actually this shouldn't be a silence. There's this weird little hum that you probably aren't even aware of um, consciously that's happening through the theater at different points. The sound designer Mikhail Suleiman has put in that um, are just giving, making us feel a little unsettled on like a real visceral level that you don't even necessarily register. But, you know, there's all these little things that are being put in. And then, you know, really the final piece is the actors, right? So they're coming in with their incredible um, comedy and drama chops. And it's really a, a matter of picking and choosing how to, um, I'm not sure to say, calibrate everything, you know, together to make those moments of incredible awkwardness, those moments of incredible drama, maybe some shock and awe, and then also moments of um, real comedy and release and fun and enjoyment together in the theater. Uh, these actors are so talented. They could, you know, make everything funny or make everything dramatic and it could be a six hour play. Instead, you know, we had to pick and choose where do we want release? Where do we want tension? Where do we want fun? Where do we want to just learn something? And how do we pack that all into, you know, 86 minutes? Love the shout out to sound designing and subtle sound designing. Big fan. Let me ask you uh, about what is essentially the the fifth character in the play, which are the interstitial videos that kind of play throughout. And and for the for the audience out there, these are pretty much parodies of of children's holiday songs, and and these videos are um, absurd and and kind of hor horrifying in a way. And you watch them and be like, oh well, that 
that that is just kind of uh, that that's extreme satire. But there's a lot of reality in them, isn't there? This is stuff that you've heard before. The videos are taken directly from teachers' pages on the internet within the last 10 years. <laughs> so they're all current. They're all word for word uh, what teachers are having children do at, on pageants, on chat boards with ideas for Thanksgiving, on their Pinterest boards. You know, uh, all the comments are directly from teachers and public people on these um, on these. Uh, websites. So it, I didn't do, I didn't write any of that. I did, you know, condense it for some reason. It was 10 days of Thanksgiving instead of 12, but I don't know, but we did nine. Cause I don't know why that just seemed the right amount of relentlessness. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so, and I did rearrange the song a bit, uh, for a dramatic build. Um, I did, you know, with, uh, the four little Turkey song and the 10 little Indian song, I put those two songs together, both songs though, being, uh, you know, taught on websites for children the, as great songs to have your kids sing in the Thanksgiving season. And every, like I said, all the comments are directly from there and the um, curriculums I talk about are also from the internet. So everything is real. My publisher just made me change all the websites, you know, to protect everybody. <laughs> all right, Larissa, quick intermission right here. We're back talking more about the Thanksgiving play on The Takeaway right after this. This week on the New Yorker Radio Hour, the fewer on college campuses over the war in Gaza. Students have tried to have dialogue over and negotiate differences in how they see the world, even as they respond to tragedies and crimes overseas. Students and faculty from Harvard University on the New Yorker Radio Hour from WNYC Studios. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back. We're talking with Larissa Fasthorse, playwright of the Thanksgiving play, which comes out on Broadway today. So, so throughout the play, uh, and, and as the the characters on stage kind of go through this, they they kind of get lost in their own lives and feelings and and their own experiences or or what they believe their experiences mean to this particular production, and they kind of become borderline unhinged at at various points, like trying to trying to deal with this. So. Uh, they, Talk to me a little bit about the absurdity of performing wokeness and, and specific to these characters. Like, is there kind of a, an, a, any like uh, empathy towards their, their quote unquote struggle here? Or is this like uh, kind of showing people at their most extreme uselessness in terms of doing, in terms <laughs> of doing this play? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with theater, right? I mean, you don't show, you don't pay your money and leave your house and have dinner and come out to watch Saturday. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you come out to watch the most, you know, crucial moment of people's lives. Um, so this isn't just Saturday. This is a, you know, a crucial turning point in all of their lives for their own, you know, to reasons to some people, they may seem very small, you know, doing an educational play for kids around Thanksgiving may seem small to some folks, but to these people for various reasons, it's, it's really important. And it's the most important thing in their lives. So, you know, obviously, I mean, that's, so that's the first part, right? Is it is that's what we come for? Is that that day when everything changes? Um, but also, I'd say you know that's life, right? I mean, it's so 
wild. You know, in one minute, you're deep in something very important, your work and your job and whatever. And the next minute, you get a text that, you know, uh, the text I got last night, actually, that my 92-year-old mother had tripped and fallen and had to race over and take her to the ER. And suddenly you're in this absurd ER story that I could write a whole play about, you know, <laughs> there's just, I and mean, that's life, right? It's, it's switching, pivoting so fast from thing to thing. And so my job, I think, as a dramatist is how do I capture, I would say I try to write at the speed of life. So how do I capture that speed of life and put it on a stage in a way that works in that space, this, this you know, suspended disbelief space that we're all agreeing to when we walk into a theater? And how do I make sure, though, then, then also at the same time, that life affects each of us. So it does get pretty absurd. It does get pretty wild because we're, we're catching these people on their worst or best day, depending on the play, right? And this one, I guess, I think I would say is probably, they thought it was going to their best day and it turns out to be their worst. But um, that's my job, right? As the dramatist, like how do I take that and get us to still identify with them? So there are some very personal moments that happen in, in this play because that's what happens in life. And as crazy as things get, suddenly, you know, you're in the fight with your boyfriend about ridiculous things. Um, and then you get back to, you know, trying to save the world through children's, you know, pageants, which is absurd, of course, just in itself. But I do love these people. And I, and I love their humanity. And I love how I hope all of us, including myself, you know, see ourselves at times in these people and be like, wow, that's awesome. Or that's really horrifying. And I need to think again about why I do these things and why I can see myself in them. So speaking of, of really horrifying, there, there's a point in the, in the play, I think you probably know where I'm getting to here, where mm -hmm. perhaps if there's any empathy, it, it might be lost where the characters decide to act out the Pequot massacre of 1637 in an extremely visceral way. Yes. <laughs> and, and with a reminder that they're making a play meant for elementary school students. So I'm interested in like how you're showcasing how much of the American canon of indigenous and native stories is, is wrapped up in violence. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem, right? <laughs> Ultimately, if you're talking about anything um, with us uh, as Indigenous people, if you're talking about anything historical, you know, 90% of it is, you know, horrific. You know, the violence that's been perpetrated on us by first the original, you know, settlers and invaders, and then the various governments, you know, depending on what part of the continent you're on, it's been the British government, the American government, the French, the Spanish, the, you know, Mexican, I mean, all these different governments have had parts of this land and have, you know, done horrific things by law uh, against indigenous people. And so all of that is always there. However, you know, the part that I love <laughs> is, you know, the last 10% is that we survived. And not only we survived, we thrived, you know, we we had the quote, you know, greatest nation on the planet has been trying to you know, eradicate us for centuries and we're still here. And not only are we here, but we're dealing with it with comedy and humor and love and pride and culture. I mean, that's amazing. We always say if you, you know, if you get two native people together within minutes, even if they've never met each other, they're laughing because we're living the longest black comedy on the planet and we can still laugh and survive and thrive. And, um, so, you know, there, there's that part of it. So I feel like, you know, my writing, yes, there's some horrific, just plain up truth, like you were talking about the Pequot massacre that we do talk about. And it's actually a relief to a lot of Native people to have us just say it out loud. This is what happened, just like this. And, um, and it is pretty visceral <laughs> when you see it in the play, but it's actually just the truth. And then, 
that's a relief for us to have someone finally say it out loud. It's like, okay, this is what we're talking about. If we're not dealing with what actually happened, how can we ever move forward? And so now if we, okay, let's deal with that. Let's talk about it. And now we can move forward. And then we can have a ridiculous scene where we laugh about a fight with our boyfriend because we're all human and we're all people who get in fights with our boyfriends. And, you know, we can relate to that together as a group and say, okay, we have these extreme differences that may make us uncomfortable, but then we also have these similarities. And my hope is that in this play, even though I can be pretty tough on the well-meaning white people, they realize that I want us to all see each other as human and go forward together. So, and a, and a spoiler alert here for people who haven't seen it. At, at the end of the show, the characters decide that it's pretty much better to do nothing than attempt to, to do this and have this difficult conversation. So, I guess, do, do you have a, a, a take on that? Is it better to do nothing or is it better to kind of work through these ideas? You know, obviously, obviously I want people to work through things, but also, you know, there is a place, you know, so this, this, the ending of this play came directly from a talk I had with a white male artistic director um, when I was working on the play at Playwrights Horizons before the pandemic. And he was, you know, our super well-meaning liberal white person, <laughs> like our characters. And he said to me, you know, Larissa, I finally figured it out. I, I need to just, you know, I've been trying so hard. I've been trying to do all the right things. I've been trying to be involved in the EDI conversations and equity and diversity and inclusion. I've been trying to do all these things. I realized I just need to stop. As a white male, I just need to do nothing. And I was like, okay, what does that mean to you? It didn't mean giving up his six-figure salary. It did not mean giving up his benefits. It did not giving up mean giving up his gatekeeping of everything that happens in his theater. It just meant keeping all of that, the money, the power, and doing nothing. And I was like, wait, no, that's not how it works at all. But, you know, I, of course, kept my mouth shut because I wanted him to keep talking because I needed to write the end of my play. So I, I was like, really? Tell me more. Tell me more. Um, but, you know, that's that's the kind of, you know, there's doing nothing because you want to create room for others. And there's doing nothing because you're abdicating but keeping all the power. And uh, that, you know, those are very different things. And I hope that, you know, people think about which one is appropriate for them. Sure. On the subject of power, um, you are now on the front lines in terms of indigenous theater folks to have a play produced on Broadway. What does that mean to you, that moment, that power, that responsibility, that honor? Yeah, you know, you said it perfectly. <laughs> it is all of those things at every moment. Um, you know, I it, it's hard. It's constantly conflicting, right? So, um, you know, Lynn Riggs, the great Lynn Riggs had many plays on Broadway, but it was in the beginning of the last century, right? So we're in the beginning of the next century before we've had another Native American playwright on Broadway that we know of. That's not okay. That's horrifying, right? And it, but then I also try to stay with, well, yay, you know, I'm here and I love this play and I love this process and I love the incredibly diverse audiences Second Stage has worked with us to build. I love that I'm getting to have this voice with people all over the world and with people like you. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's exciting. And it certainly is a, you know, something I've been aiming for in my career for a long time. So personally, it's great and amazing. Um, and I love the show so much. But then, you know, I have to say it is a huge responsibility. And I'm always thinking, you know, it cannot be the next century before we have another Native playwright on Broadway. It just can't. Um, there needs to be one next year. There needs to be one every year. You know, this it, we're, we're so far behind. And so, you know, there's a lot of responsibility on me to feel like, you know, I need to make sure the door wasn't just open for me. I need it to like stay open. And then in the theaters to be going through that door 
pulling more native writers and performers in. And so I'm really, you know, constantly working on that, working with a lot of folks um, behind the scenes to make sure we're getting to native audiences. We're bringing tons of native youth from all over the country. I mean, I've gotten some incredible donors giving a lot of their personal money to bring native youth that I've worked with in theater camps or the native theater programs around the country to this play in New York. And, and you know, it costs a lot of money to bring a bunch of kids to New York sure. and they're doing it and they're bringing them in and that's exciting. So I'm like, great, you know, this will be our, our next generation that assumes they're supposed to be native people on Broadway because that's what they grew up with, you know? Um, and I'm working with, you know, I'm always, you know, with all these amazing native artists, but then at the same time, like there's this fascinating, you know, you know, I'm, I'm excited for me and this work and the fact that I have five more plays this year that now all have native casts. That's incredible. And that's something I couldn't do before this play. But then like I had a good friend of mine, Kenny Ramos, he's an indigenous actor that came all the way from California, spent 18 hours here to see my play, spent the night on my couch. And, um, you know, we got home from the show and we jumped up and down. We said, we made it like we made it. And we were like tearful because it is we, you know, when you're an indigenous person, sure, I don't have to represent everybody, but at the same time, it's we. And I'm so honored and, and take that responsibility so strongly that I'm always a part of a we and that we have made it to Broadway and we want to stay here. Really well, really well put. And you, talk, you talked about getting more uh, indigenous actors into plays coming up this year. Tell me about uh, tell me about what's coming up. Yeah, I'm so excited. I have, so this is play number one of six. Um, next play I'm doing is Wichun with Cornerstone Theater Company in South Dakota. We're doing a tour of like five reservations where I'm from. Um, and it's going to be a cast of Lakota, Nakota, and Dakota people. I'm so excited. The play we all created together that, that's a Native American superhero play, a Lakota superhero, which is really exciting. Um, then we go next, I come back to New York and I do this um, democracy project at Federal Hall with a whole bunch of amazing starry writers. Uh, Michael R. Jackson wrote a song for it. Then I go back to LA and I do um, uh, my new farce at the Mark Taper Forum. It's a brand new satirical farce um, talking about race and pretendians and uh, race shifters. So it's an interesting little uh, exploration with a lot of ridiculous farce funniness. And then I go to the Guthrie with a play I co-wrote with Ty Defoe called For the People. That's another comedy based in the Twin Cities, the indigenous people from there. Um, on the main stage. And then I come back to New York for Peter Pan. That's how I finished the year with my new P version of Peter Pan based on the um, well-known beloved Jerome Roberts, Robbins Broadway version um, being updated with indigenous characters for hopefully the next century. Larissa, thank you. Thank you so much. The Thanksgiving play opens on Broadway today at the Helen Hayes Theater. Larissa Fastors is the playwright for the Thanksgiving play. Thank you so much for the time today. Oh, it's been so great speaking with you. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. 